friends. Welcome to another episode of Living in Hope. I am your host, Cassie Merritt. So I have this list, right? When I created this podcast, I was like, okay, I want to write down a few people that I would love to have on my podcast someday if I'm cool enough, right? (laughs) So I have this guest wish list. And one of those people who is on my list, I got to interview today. So today I got to interview Davey Blackburn. I actually found him through his podcast. So he has a podcast called Nothing Is Wasted. And you guys, I went down all the way to the bottom of the list and listened to his very first podcast. And the story he shares is his own. His story is so incredible and so inspiring. So of course, he is somebody I put on that list. I knew that I wanted you guys to hear his story. It is a very, very difficult one. I'm going to warn you of that now. But you have to keep listening because it's just so awesome how God had worked through his life and continues to work and use Davy today. It is a little bit longer of an episode longer than I usually go, but I did not want to cut him off because he has so much to share, right? So I'm going to divide this episode into two parts. So you're going to listen to part one today. But before we dive into his story, I would love to introduce him because I kind of forgot (laughs) to have him introduce himself. You know, I was just really excited, you guys. So I'm going to do that now. So let me tell you a little bit about my friend Davey. All right. He is a dad to three beautiful kids. His wife, Christy, and him have a ministry together called Nothing is Wasted. And I think this kind of got branched off of his podcast where he is the host of it. They have so many resources on there and so many things going on. But not only does Davey have this ministry and that podcast, but he is also an author and a speaker, a man of many trades for sure. (laughs) But his story is truly what captured me. And I know it's going to capture all of you as well. So let's go ahead and dive in. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Davey. I'm really excited to have you here. Oh, this is an honor, Cassie. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. So I have to give you a little bit of history. I'm going to kind of geek out here a little okay. bit <laughs> because you are actually somebody that I really look up to. And mm. when I was beginning this whole podcast journey, and I shared this a little bit with you beforehand that I'm kind of an introvert and <laughs> God has kind of pushed me out of my boundaries. He seems to do that, right? Yeah, he does. He really <laughs> enjoys pushing you beyond what you think yeah, you can handle, that's for sure. Right. And so I started like researching podcasts and um, I knew what I wanted to have on this podcast. I wanted people to share their stories. And so when I found yours, I was (laughs) like, oh man, this guy is doing what I dream to do. He's doing such a great job. And so I started listening to your podcast every morning when I go on my walks and my husband would be listening to it as I'm cooking. So (laughs) I've been listening to you for a while. Don't know if that's that's creepy or not, but (laughs) no, it's, it's such a, it's so, uh, humbling and and it's just an honor to, to hear that. You know, you start a podcast and you start anything really. And you're like, well, I hope I can add some value and I can help other people. And Anytime yes. you hear that it really has and that it's really, and not just added value, but yeah. it's intercepted people and really 
critical times in their life. That's I think that's where I really geek out as I'm going, man, I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with life change and I'm obsessed with helping other people discover their purpose, whether they're going through a mountaintop experience or a valley. And so yeah. it's just cool when you hear feedback from people where you're like, oh, yeah. I'm actually yeah. making a difference. Yeah, you know? so true. So yeah. true. Oh, man. Well, I am very excited to just get into this conversation yeah. with you because I've heard bits and pieces of, you know, your story you shared. That's kind of how you started your podcast, right? right. You yep. shared your story yeah. and it's a, uh, it's a huge one. And I just, mm -hmm. it's so inspirational. Oh. And I feel like that's where others can find hope is mm -hmm. through others' yeah. testimonies. And right. the fact that you are so open in sharing that, I think mm -hmm. that is huge and really, really touches so many lives. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah. yes, thank you. Yeah. So let's go ahead and have you kind of start sharing about that um, okay. piece of your life um, with yeah. my listeners. Yeah, well, right now, kind of mm -hmm. what what where I sit currently is I'm, I'm kind of a pastor, kind of a podcaster, kind of a writer, right. kind of all of these different things here in Indianapolis. But the, what got us to Indianapolis was back in 2011, I was a pastor in, I was a youth pastor in South Carolina at a church called New Spring Church and uh, was married. I, I had met my wife, Amanda, in college through a guy who was on our dorm hallway and we were both athletes. He was a golfer, so I guess that's kind of debatable whether or not he was an athlete, but um, <laughs> he he was like, hey man, I think that we, you need to meet my girlfriend's sister. You guys would be great for each other. So long story short, I went to El I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, so I didn't know anything about Indiana really other than Indianapolis was my birthplace. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, Indiana, I'll, I'll go up and meet this girl and see what it's, you know, what, what she's like. I, I was a little bit leery about it because I didn't trust the setup thing, you know, that stuff right, doesn't really work. Right, right. <laughs> but when I met her, I fell fast for her. I mean, it was unbelievable. We went to a Hawk Nelson concert that night and then oh. we went to Steak and Shake and we're sitting across the table and I'm drinking a chocolate milkshake and she's drinking a strawberry milkshake and I kind of try to break the ice. And I crack a joke and she laughs and she shoots milkshake out of her nose. <laughs> oh, and I look like, at her and I'm you. like, this is her. This is her. She's yes. the one, right? Oh. I remember calling my mom, um, you know, at the time, let's see, 20 years old. And by the way, I'm sorry if you hear my baby just crying oh, in the background. It's fine. He's not happy. I it's get just, it. It is what it is. We talked about this on the, before we got yes. on, that this is just, just life, how right? parent life yep. is. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was 20 years old at the time, I think. Yeah. 20 years old. And I called my mom up and I said, mom, I met the girl of my dreams. She's incredible. And my mom was like, who are you? And what have you done with my son? <laughs> and then she met her and she was like, wow, you're right. Like this girl's incredible. And so she ended up going to school in Florida and I was at school in South Carolina. We did long distance dating. And then when we graduated college, each of us, then, then we got married. This was in 2008. And we started working at a, a church called New Spring. We we're youth pastors and man, we were loving it. I mean, this church was fast growing. There were so many amazing things happening, just like experiencing life change every single week. It felt like almost every single day. I mean, people getting saved and baptized and teenagers, their lives turning around. Just, it was such a cool, cool season, but there was something that kept, it started gnawing at our hearts a little bit. Nothing wrong with the church, nothing wrong with what we were doing. We thought we'd be there for the rest of our lives, but we found out later that God had a, a kind of a calling for us. And so as we began praying open-handedly about it, which I'll say we prayed 
against it for about eight months. But as we began praying (laughs) open hand and saying, God, what do you want us to do? We'll do whatever you're calling us to do. And we'll go wherever you want us to go. You just need to, you need to tell us, you'd be clear about it. He made it really clear. We're supposed to move to Indianapolis to plant a church. So we uh, packed up a moving van on November 11th, 2011. And we moved to Indianapolis and uh, we started looking around at houses and we wanted, we knew we wanted to like make a statement. Like we're here, we're planted. We're not renting. We're not, this isn't a temporary thing. If this doesn't work out, then we're not, you know, we're going to jump ship. So we got a realtor, start looking around at houses. The first house we come to a house on 2812 Sunnyfield court and Amanda looks around the house and she comes back and it had just been redone by some flippers. And she's like, Davey, this is our house. This is beautiful. Wow. And I'm like, hold on. I, <laughs> this is quick. Hold on. Chip- <laughs> yeah. I know you got this little like safety gene thing the security like let's nest kind of gene that's that's triggering right now but i've watched chip and joanna yeah and they say it is not smart to buy the first house right so we look around at like 25 other houses we come back to 2812 sunnyfield court and amanda gives me that look that's like the look that every husband's gotten you know the you should have listened to me the first time it would have saved us a lot of time look yeah i told you so yeah yeah exactly and we uh we end up deciding to put an offer on the house and uh, it was a lowball offer they laughed us off in the negotiating table. They said, you better come with a much higher offer. And so we went back to her grandmother's house where we were staying uh, in Brownsburg. And we prayed about it. We said, Lord, we don't have to be in this house. I mean, we're just opening our hands and all of this. And that was kind of our mantra was like, God, whatever you put in front of us, we're going to walk through that door, the doors you open. And if you don't want us to walk through it, then just close the door. So right. we said, um, Amanda's grandmother said, faith is living without scheming. And mm. so the next day we decided we're going to put the same offer on the house. Wow. So we did put the same offer down and they accepted the offer. Wouldn't you know it? Wow. <laughs> okay. The same Meant one that be, they had right? completely denied. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and so we started making a life and it was, I mean, it was awesome. We started a little church in that house. Wow. We had four, we had four people come to the first church gathering. Wow. And so I preached a message called invite. Okay. Cause we had four people. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, <laughs> that works. And, uh, <laughs> The next week, Cassie, we had four people show up, the same four people. So wow. I had to preach a, a totally different message than I planned. Mm. And I preached a message called invite harder, you know, yeah. like let's get people coming to this. <laughs> like, awesome. And, uh, but it was just cool. You know, we started our church there in a living room and we started our kids ministry in the back, uh, master bedroom. We put veggie tails on, you know, for the yeah. kids and we'd Aww. crawl in, we'd crawl into our sheets some nights and there's like goldfish crackers <laughs> and stuff, you know, like embedded in our sheets. Um, you know, we, I remember one time we Skyped in Amanda's sister from, you know, they were three hours away in Elkhart and she and her husband Skyped in and we're like, whoa, we're a multi-site church, you know, (laughs) all the while it's like eight to 12 of us in the living room. And you have to get excited about the little things. You have to. It was just a sweet time of new beginnings and trying to make life happen. Well, you know, in 2014 we had Weston and uh, brought him home to that house. Just the house was full of so many memories. But then in the fall of 2015, our church had just begun to kind of like pick up steam. I remember we had like three weeks in a row where we had a hundred people show up to church. We're like, oh my gosh, this is it. We're finally like, wow, this is... We're, we're doing the thing that God called us. And Amanda and I were just in such an unbelievable place. I remember looking at her at some point in that stretch and just being like, man, do you, do you think anybody has what we have as far as like a love, like what we have, you know, and just, it was just a sweet time. Um, but then on, on November 10th, 2015, I went to the gym early in the morning. It was kind of my Tuesday ritual and I came home and I walked into my absolute worst nightmare. And, um, when I walked in, Amanda was lying on our living room floor face down, um, in, 
you know, for lack of a better term, a, a pool of blood. Mm-hmm. I remember rushing to her side and, you know, obviously it's just a moment full of complete shock. And she had just announced to me a few weeks before this, that she was pregnant with our second. And so my first thought was, man, something gone wrong with the pregnancy. Like, oh, man. Did she get out of the shower this morning while I was gone? Did she get lightheaded? Right. You know, did something, did we miscarriage or, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't create any kind of other kind of explanation in that moment for the blood that I was seeing and, and what was going on. And, and there was stuff that was disheveled all over the room. And it was just like, just one of those things you couldn't make sense of, you know, but in those moments, you know, everything goes in fast motion and slow motion kind of all at the same time. And I, I just remember calling, uh, the paramedics and thinking if we just get her to the hospital, everything's going to be fine, you know? And part of it was this idea of like, Hey, like we're, we're following the Lord. Like we're, we're in ministry, you know, God's supposed to protect right. us. Like right. major tragedy doesn't happen to people like us. Mm. Right. That was my presupposition. And so the whole time I'm thinking, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Now I'm in shock, but I'm like, everything's going to be fine. And so I call the paramedics. It felt like it took, I mean, when I'm sitting there, it felt like it took three hours for them to get there. And it, and it only took three minutes. Wow. And, um, we get her to the hospital and I expect, man, we're just going to be fine. They're going to get her stabilized. Maybe we lost the baby, but you know, we'll be able to get back to our life as usual. And, uh, you know, they come in, doctors and investigators come into the waiting room and they say, Davey, uh, she has three bullet wounds in her. One is in her arm, one has grazed over her back, and one is in the back of her head. And um, so we're going to try to operate if the swelling of the brain goes down, but it, it doesn't look good. And, uh, you know, I I still believe that God was going to do a miracle. We, we were there for the next 24 hours all together as a family, praying over her, her worshiping over her. And, right. And uh, I have an incredible family heritage of faith, a lot of pastors and missionaries and, you know, just even the like doctors and stuff in our family, they're like, love the Lord. And, and so they just wow. surrounded us. And, you know, it's just this crazy, weird mixture of a beautiful time, but also a really horrific time there in the hospital for 24 hours while we're waiting on test results. And the test results come back and she, she was, um, declared officially deceased. And in a moment, I mean, overnight I lost my wife, my little you know, unborn baby girl. We, we had a, she had an intuition that it was a girl. Mm-hmm. And so we, we just go ahead and say that. And, um, then yeah. I'm left trying to figure out how to be a single dad and pastor the church that we planted and, yeah. and pick up the broken pieces right. and grieve. And was your son there with her at that time or? Yeah. Okay. He was, he was upstairs okay. in his crib the oh, whole time. Wow. And wow. so we honestly, to this day, we don't know if he ever saw or heard anything. Right. Um, Oh my goodness. You know, he was 15 months old, so he doesn't remember right. anything, fortunately. Right. You know, we, we, that's a blessing. Yes. We feel like uh, God's grace has kind of shielded him from all of that. Yeah, absolutely. But he, you know, just like any young child who loses, um, especially his consistent caregiver, I mean, she was a stay-at-home mom, uh, the next couple of years for him was in some ways traumatic because he's, you know, now a major transition has happened in his life where he doesn't have that person yeah. of consistency that he had, right. had for 15 months. So, right. Yeah. So you were saying like how you feel like you guys were, you know, in ministry and everything. This doesn't happen to you. Right. So right. Right. what were some of your emotions after she mm-hmm. passed away? What were some of those emotions you had to go through? Yeah, there were a lot of them. You know, the first emotion usually is shock. Although I do like to tell people that when you look back on the whole, after you've kind of walked through your valley and you're, and you've 
found healing and you're kind of looking back on your valley, which by the way, the metaphor, if you think about that, as you're coming out of a valley, it looks a lot different. There's a different perspective and you see beauty from that perspective. Whereas before all you saw was something dark and ominous and foreboding as you're walking through it. Right. But looking back on it, I recognize there is, you know, the first step people say often is like shock. I think there's a step before that. And that's the step of a preparation period that God prepares you for a tragedy that's about to come into your life. And I think that's a testimony of a good loving God. There were so many things before this that God was really preparing our hearts for a Mm. season of pain that we didn't even realize. Mm. And so you kind of had this weird moment once stuff happens where you go, whoa. Like, yeah, you start seeing those. Yeah. Yeah. I see how God has been kind of preparing my heart for wow. this, which shows me that God is with us, right? He's in the, he's in the valley with us. Psalm 23 says that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Mm. His presence is the most comforting thing that can happen. Right. And right after something tragic happens, you tend to go through a period of shock. And I think this is God's grace too, because if you felt the weight of all of the emotions, of that tragedy or that trauma, it would quite literally kill you. Yeah. And so I I feel like he shields some of that and you go through a season of shock where you, it's just like numb, you know, and you're like, I can't believe that just happened. This isn't real life. On top of that, in that season, we were kind of fielding a lot of our our story went pretty viral and and across the nation. And so we're, we're fielding a lot of media requests and all of that stuff. And so I had a, fortunately a team from the, our old church came and helped me kind of navigate all of that. um, But the first stage is shock. And then after that, you end up going into some really dark places, a lot of just uh, feelings of despondency, feelings of loss and sadness and heartache and pain so much so that it causes you um, physical, sometimes physical illness. For me, it was, I mean, I, remember a couple of weeks that I was on the couch and couldn't get off the couch. I was physically sick. Yeah. I can't imagine. Um, it's like all of that grief and, and the emotion kind of catching up to you. Right. And a lot of loneliness with our situation later, what crept into once I, once the men who had broken into our house and who, uh, you know, who, who shot her, they, they were arrested. And once they were arrested, I remember seeing their faces on the news and I started feeling anger and rage and bitterness and all of these different, you know, emotions that you, you feel in that kind of a thing. And yeah. so now you have a face mm-hmm. to it. I can't imagine what that yep. would be like. Yep. So there's, there is a deep, deep well of emotions that any of your listeners who've gone through something tragic, they, they understand, you know, you just, it feels like a vortex. It feels like it's going to completely overtake you at some point, you know? Right. So I heard you say something really powerful in one of your podcasts. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said something about once you learned the guys who broke into your house, Mm -hmm. once you learned their story, you were able to go through that forgiving process a little easier. Am I on the right path? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that sounds really crazy. It's amazing to me. And to, to be honest with you, it, feels and sounds a little crazy to me too. But, um, here's the thing. I think no matter what in American culture, we try to escape or numb our feelings of anything that's 
different than elation or happiness or fun or, you know, the, the highs of life. We don't like to experience the lows or the depths of pain. Yeah. And so as my grief journey began, I fortunately had somebody, uh, had multiple people by my side that were helping me, but one person in particular who told me that I needed to lean into those emotions. And so as I began to lean into those emotions, as scary as they were, I began to be able to actually process those emotions and start feeling those emotions. One of those emotions was bitterness and bitterness can manifest itself in anger or in rage or, you know, in, in extreme cases, it can manifest itself in violence. But regardless, you, you have to address all of these emotions. Bitterness is an important one to address because bitterness oozes out of you. Like we all know people who you can just tell they seem bitter. One of yeah. the things we say a lot is a feeling, a feeling buried never dies. It, it's going to come back up. It's going to booby trap you and it's going to come back up in, in more of, of an vengeance. Right. You know, it's, right. it's going to present itself in the most inconvenient, inopportune times. And it's going to then ooze all over the people that you love around you. It's going to affect you at work. It's going to affect you as you show up in the world and you help. I mean, it's just going to, it's going to be bad. And so bitterness was one of those key emotions that I really experienced. Well, I didn't know this prescriptively. Like, it's not like I had this manual where I opened up a book one day and it was like, oh, here's what I need to do in order to deal with right. this bitterness. I need to the steps. Yeah. I need to learn <laughs> these guys' stories and I need to try to form empathy and compassion for them. Like that doesn't no, no that's not the no. case. For me, it was the journey that God began to lead me on, and he did this through people. So the way this happened is I remember shortly after Amanda passed away, I was sitting at a elevation, I was sitting side stage of an elevation worship concert. And I remember looking out into the crowd, and this was weeks after Amanda passed away. This was after the arrests had been made, so I knew the faces, I saw the, you know, saw the faces on the news. And I saw, that I'll never forget it. What struck me is I saw this, the face of this, I'm guessing probably 12 year old boy right. who looked to me like he would have been, um, he probably would have been a younger version of the guy that shot Amanda. Wow. Like that for some reason, I don't know why, but the Lord, like, it's like, it looked like him. And I remember seeing him at an elevation worship conference concert at a youth conference. And I remember thinking, what if, because I'm a pastor, I'm a youth pastor. My, I was trained to think, man, how do we intercept kids and teenagers and help them come to know Christ? I remember thinking, what if Larry Taylor, the guy who's on trial for killing Amanda, what if he had had something like this when he was 12 years old? Wow. How might, how might my life be different? Wow. Right? So in that, right around the same time, there was Amanda's old youth pastor that reached out to me. And we started, we had coffee and we were talking about everything that had happened and, you know, and, and he lived, um, downtown in kind of a rough area of town, part of his ministry's incarnational ministry where they live and just serve the people there who are kind of in systemic poverty situations. And he goes, I'll be honest with you, Davey, like living on the street that we live on, like we fear some of those kinds of things, someone breaking into our house or like, and this is even more heightened our fear for this. And he said, I don't, I don't want to like you know, bring up anything for you, but the, the car, the getaway car from Amanda's murder was found on our street. Wow. Oh my goodness. And so I'm sitting here going like, Whoa, wait a minute. Hold on a second. What? And he, I've known this pastor for a while, you know, as Amanda's old youth pastor. And I, I'm like, man, well, I told him about that concert. I said, man, I just, 
like, I just feel like part of what I'm supposed to do, like what God's thrusting me into is to figure out how do we intercept kids and teenagers in this? Like, how do we help them to not go down this path? And he goes, yeah, I have felt the same way. I want to introduce you to a pastor who's actually in this particular area of the city that was close to where you and Amanda lived. Wow. I'm like, okay, cool. Wow. So I uh, kind of tucked that away. Yeah. I put it in my, the, my back pocket. Later that day, I'm sitting with someone in our church and he goes, hey, I have a pastor friend who has been blowing my phone up to talk to you wow. since Amanda was killed. It happened to be Cassie, this same exact pastor that this other one was referring me to. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. That's a God thing, right? Absolutely. So anytime, anytime God begins to bring things up multiple times to you, that's a Absolutely. trail that you need to go down and go, okay, yes. God, what are you doing? Where are you leading me? So I'm like, yes. okay. So I call this pastor. We sit down and in this, he's a black pastor and he begins to talk to me about systemic poverty in our city and all, you know, and he basically educates me for two hours at the end of the conversation. He goes, how do you feel about these men? The men that killed a man, how do you feel about him? And I'm like, man, uh, well, you know, it's a journey right now. I'm trying to sort through all of that. He said, how do you feel about their family members? I'm like, what do you mean? Family? I haven't thought about their family members. He said, well, Davey, they feel like that you are bitter at them. I said, what do you mean they feel like? He said, I have some friends who have been fostering the guy who killed Amanda. Wow. Wow. So then he says, let me tell you his story. And he proceeds to tell me what he knows of Larry Taylor's story. You know, I hate when people cut off at a very intense part of a podcast and make you wait a couple of days. I'm totally being that person right now. I apologize. But I try to keep them short so you can come back in just a couple of days and listen to part two. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss out. It is so good. But until then, make sure you go check out Davy's ministry called Nothing is Wasted. You can find that at nothingiswasted.com. But that is all from me, you guys. So I will see you in a couple of days on Thursday, the 28th for part two.